There was a language. There were the parameters. I could step in now. That was the liberation for me. I'm not even talking about the past. I'm talking about the present. It's not an accusation. It is a plea for the life of this country. Instead of eliminating the causes that create that condition, he tries to cover it up by accusing his accuser of teaching hate. People don't hate each other. And people start talking to each other, and then they start talking to each other, they find out who's the problem. It's when the talking ceases that the ground becomes fertile for violence. So keep the conversation going. Hi, welcome back to Let's Talk About Race, the podcast where we do away with yelling in favor of in-depth discussion on the nuance of race relations in this country. Today I'm joined by Philip Smith, the president and founder of the National African American Gun Association. Philip, thanks so much for being with us today. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today. Now, Philip, there's been renewed talk lately of the relationship between African Americans and guns in this country, given the Capitol riot, given the shooting in Atlanta that occurred. It seems to most people obvious that if these were to be black Americans um, and not white Americans that were armed, it would end substantially different for them. So my question for you is when your members go to register for guns, when they own guns, do they feel there's a higher barrier to them as black Americans getting gun ownership? Do they feel that once they do legally own guns, they are facing a higher level of scrutiny from police or other Americans? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, it's a great question. I think generally speaking, most of our members are very intuitive. They, you know, they understand the the history of uh, gun law. They understand the history of, of our people in the, in the, uh, the United States. So when they're applying for a license or, you know, having a, a gun thereafter, there are certain, there's a duality that takes place. Let, let's be honest. There are, uh, unfortunately, uh, a different set of uh, standards that are put upon us. Um, now we, in some cases, are getting the concealed carry license, but there's also, um, for a lot of our members, there's a, it just seems like there's an extra effort that you have to go to get the license. Um, or there's an extra effort if you have a firearm and you're stopped by the police, um, you have to really prove yourself to be a legitimate owner of, of the firearm. And uh, I think overall that's problematic and that's very, uh, how can I say this and be honest in, in, in the, the feedback? I think it can be frustrating at a minimum for our community because we have went through an, an enormous hill that we're trying to, even as, as I speak, climb up and over with in terms of equal treatment in the eyes of the law. And for some reason, um, it's just not there yet. We're trying to get there, uh, but the discussions are, you know, really have a long way to go, I think, anyway, until our folks get a chance to uh, feel like they're being treated, you know, equitably. Now, I know most gun organizations, apart from kind of the embracing of the Second Amendment, are primarily for shooting and the aspect of hunting, sports shooting. They're not necessarily political organizations. Do you find that being a member of black gun owners in America, there is an added political element? The good thing about uh, when you're a member of the National African American Gun Association, you're going to get folks from every vein of society, rich, poor, uh, Republican, Democrat, um, grumpy, you name it, we have it. And in, in that mix of experiences, you generally get a feel for what people are going through uh, in their, on their day-to-day activities when it applies to, you know, having a gun and, and their interaction with, with police. Um, I would say this, and not to um, dance around the question, we're not a political organization, but we will make commentary on those situations where there's not an equal application of the law or there seems to be an, something that's egregious, very 
severe happening to our members that that borders on injustice are is in fact something that that is um, you know illegal in the light in the eyes of the of the law so I don't know if I answered the question there but that that was my my initial feedback of course that makes a lot of sense and correct me if I'm wrong your organization started in 2015 yeah I started the organization uh, February 28th uh, 2015 in honor of Black History Month and when I started the organization I did not know that it was going to blossom into you know the huge you know organization it is now i thought i might get two or three hundred people but i got two or three hundred people the first month and then the first year I had eight thousand people and next thing you know uh you know five years later we're looking at forty thousand give or take a few and uh we're continuing to grow we have about a thousand new members every month um it's just a very positive vibe that we try to um stay in terms of try to try to you know send out to our to our members um, everyone's welcome. We have we have a culture of acceptance. In other words, whoever you are, whatever you, however you vote, whatever you do in your private life, we don't make any judgments on that. Um, we're all treated as American citizens. We give you a high five when you join, a big hug, and say welcome to the family. You'll hear that term a lot because uh, we do really actually mean that. Everyone is open to um, being invited to our organization, and we welcome everyone, regardless if you're with another firearm organization or not. Um, you just never thought about having a gun and didn't read about something about our organization and want to join, we welcome you to, to, to jump on in and definitely participate with the chapters and the various um, members of NAGA throughout the U.S. because right now we have members in every state. Uh, we have over 125 chapters, so we are growing exponentially. Um, and the thing about it, we're just starting to advertise, which is a which is a really good thing. Uh, I think we'll be able to, um, you know, grow to a pretty good size uh, over the next few years. Kind of a dual question here. What was your reason for starting NAGA, and what do you view as the primary reason for why new members are joining? When I started the organization, I, I'll be honest, I went with uh, two co-workers that were gun owners, and they said, hey, man, why don't you come out and shoot with us? And I was like, yeah, I, I really don't want to go. And they said, man, I tell you, you need to come. And they really were really persistent, and I said, okay. Finally, I kind of said, all right, I'll go. And when I went the first time with them, I had a great time. I spent about three, four hours, spent about $200 on bullets and and renting guns, and it was just, I had a I had a lot of fun. I mean, it was very um, exhilarating. I felt like, you know, I had uh, found something that I can really fall in love with. And I had so much of a good time. I said, you know what, next week I'm going to come again by myself. And fast forward another week, I went there, the same range, had a great time. Um, but even though I was having a great time, made some great folks, um, very helpful, and uh, the general vibe was very welcoming. I noticed that there was no one that looked like myself. And that bothered me because I said, if I can have this much fun and I'm an African-American male, I know my, my, my brothers and sisters in the community would love to have an organization that they could go to that can help them bridge that gap from becoming a non-gun owner to a gun owner and with a black organization that can nurture them and make them feel comfortable during that process. So at that point, the light bulb went on in the head and I went home and put together um, what I thought was uh, a, a good organization or the first firearm organization for African-Americans in the U.S. that would address those needs, and it just took off. Um, 300 people the first month, and it just took off to, you know, over 40, 43,000 unofficially, 33,000 officially, but we're probably about 10,000 over that, and uh, it has continued to, to grow. Now, if you kind of fast forward to today and look at, the reason why members are still joining in those numbers is kind of what I said earlier. You feel welcomed when you come. 
Um, we give you a hug and a high five. Um, there's no such thing as a stupid question. Um, you automatically have a level of comfort that you don't get with some other, some other organizations because in some other organizations, you have to think a certain way, you have to look a certain way, and you have to act a certain way. At NAG, it's just the opposite. We want diversity. We want people coming from different venues and, and different perspectives to join because the one thing that we all have together is that the Second Amendment binds us all together, regardless of how we feel about this or that or how you voted or what you wear and what kind of car you drive. We all accept and embrace the Second Amendment. Now, in embracing the Second Amendment, if you talk to 10 NAGA members, you might get 10 different reasons, but there are some common themes in all those answers that you're going to get from 10 of those folks. There is a lot of social unrest right now. Let's, let's be honest. People are somewhat nervous when they look at the political and social uh, landscape and they see some of the organizations and individuals that are popping up out of the woodwork that makes it alarming, particularly for African-Americans, because historically we have been a target uh, of a lot of those organizations and, and folks who are like that. Um, to the um, introduction and, and unfortunately of the COVID-19, that was the game changer for everybody. That was the 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 incident or the um, the one reason why people went ahead and got guns more than anything because COVID brought up the issues if there's a food shortage, if there's going to be mob violence, if there's going to be a breakdown of society. Um, I can't tell you how many people called me in the last eight or nine months and said, Philip, I've been anti-gun. I've even argued with you being anti-gun. We're friends, but we argue but I'm going to go ahead and get a gun, and what kind of gun should I get based on COVID? Because COVID makes a line in the sand and says, if mob violence breaks out and there's no food and water and people are going door-to-door robbing people and killing them, I have to be able to take care of my family regardless of how I feel about firearms. And that was part of the big process when folks that I have interacted with, that they looked at that and said, you know, I need to get a gun. Unfortunately, it's not getting better. And I think what happened at the Capitol was just a, um, hopefully, um, the beginning of the end. But I think there's going to be some other um, incidents that are going to be popping up um, because I don't think those group of people that we saw that were very upset about the election are going to, just going to go away quietly. Yeah, I agree with you. It's very concerning. And now I want to trace back a little bit. You were saying at other gun clubs, there's a pressure to look or act a certain way. And I think that that's what I've seen in my personal experience. Again, I've only been shooting a handful of times in fairly liberal states, Massachusetts, New York, and California. And so I don't know that I've seen what I would characterize as really conservative gun club culture. But I have read articles of a gun club that had a target cutout of Colin Kaepernick, which seems like kind of a very overt level of racism that would make a lot of people uncomfortable. Now, in your experience, is that something you think is common that can has occurred in other places? Do you feel that there are certain images or political views that are kind of generally present at gun ranges? I think historically, I think most people will agree up until now when you say gun owner, you know, the, the typical profile in your or stereotype in your head of an older white gentleman with a firearm, he or she typically might have a southern uh, accent or a southern twist to him or her. That's been the narrative thus far. Um, but when you go to the modern range, that's changing. You know, that that's not the reality. Different kinds of people are are coming to 
ranges to learn how to shoot. And unfortunately, and I have a lot of my members that have gone through this on a consistent basis, when they go to these ranges that are historically been dominated by other people, they are treated in a kind of alien, you know, process like, you know, why are you here? Are you, you know, what, what do you want? Instead of how can I help you please, you know, um, it's a very forced discussion and there's a high level of discomfort for a lot of folks, unfortunately, uh, when African-Americans come to the door, people of, of color. Um, but they need to realize that the world is changing and we're just ordinary folks who just want to learn how to shoot a gun legally and lawfully and to treat, treat us um, like you would treat any other customer. Um, but it all comes down to respect and understanding that, you know, we're, we have rights too. You know, our ancestors fought and died even when we weren't even considered a citizen in this country um, for the country. So to me, African Americans are the ultimate patriot. Um, so we bow down and take second seat to nobody. We are not a discounted citizen or sub-American. If anything, we're super-Americans, and we walk in there, we just want to be treated fairly. No special treatment. Just treat us like you treat everybody else. Give us good service. We can learn how to shoot, and we can go about our business. Um, and that kind of speaks to why we have the organization. NAGA kind of provides a, a home where you're nurtured and you feel warm and comfortable, and you can go with other African-Americans and people of color, um, and, and, and white, and then we have, I'm going to say this right now, we have a lot of uh, white members that have joined us and are very, very supportive. And, I, and I, I encourage that to continue. We have Latino, Asian members as well um, that have joined and said, you know what, I'm not African-American, but I want to support your cause. Come on down and um, help us in that, in that movement. And that's what's happening. And it's happening all over the country. It's a slow process. It's not an instant process. Um, some days you have some great days, and some days you have some very bad days. Um, but we are making movement down the field. We're, we're, make, we're making progress. We're starting to have a lot of chapters, and those chapters are getting folks together that are buying land. And we're developing firearms instructors. We're developing curriculum uh, for African Americans within, within, the, within the National African American Gun Association. And all those things, when you look at it um, collectively, means that there's something going on that's going to allow us to have a um, hopefully change a, a social narrative that's out there with African-Americans and firearms. Because right now the narrative is is a, is a negative one. And let, let's be honest. Um, if you say black man and gun, uh, typically something negative pops up in most people's heads. And, and that's some of the things that we're fighting, um, you know, vehemently uh, with all of our energy that we can muster. I can definitely appreciate that perspective. Um, I have a question for you. Have you encountered any opposition, either from within the black community or outside? People saying, you know, I don't think this is the right thing to do. You know, I would be, be lying to you and, and to your, your listeners if I said everything's been, you know, um, a, a kumbaya moment. Everything was great and everybody loves what we're doing. Um, we have a lot of folks that love our organization and we have within our community, we have some, some folks that I have talked in conversation with every day, and they'll say more or less, hey, Phil, I, I respect you, I love you, brother, but I don't agree with what you're doing. I just don't think firearms are the way to go. And I always say, hey, I, I appreciate you being honest. I appreciate you giving me your perspective. I understand where you're coming from. And I've talked to the normal Joe Blow, black person who's just working. I've talked to preachers. I've talked to law enforcement. I've talked to um, people that are um, very educated. 
doctors, engineers, lawyers that are black. I've talked to people that are, quote, unquote, uneducated and just a normal blue-collar worker, and they've given me their perspective. In those instances where I meet someone that doesn't believe in what I'm doing, the first thing I do instead of starting a yelling match, and I want everyone to listen to this, I'll sit down and I shut my mouth. And I listen to him or her, and I ask one question. I said, you know, I appreciate everything you're saying. How did you get to this point in your life where you feel that guns are uh, a va- uh, not a value to, to black folks? What happened in your life, and how did, you, how did you get to this place? And I'm just quiet. And he or she typically appreciates that, and then they'll go into their delivery of how they came to not appreciating guns, and they'll give me their feedback and their experiences. And a lot of times they'll cite cases or facts that they have, and that, that's important to them, to me. And I'll listen, and, I'll, and, I, and I always try to be courteous and polite. And at the end, when they finish their conversation or their perspective, then I give them, them mine. And I obviously weigh in with facts and figures and, and my feelings. And bottom line, you know, my position, at, uh, position as a president of the organization. And we have a conversation. Um, that is something that is lost in this country right now. People are not listening to one another. And I'm not trying to be super over, over, over the top, but... You have to listen to folks. It doesn't mean you're going to agree. It does not mean you're going to agree. At the end of the day, you might shake somebody's hand and say, you know what, I'm not going to change my mind, and you're not going to change mine. Uh, you're not going to change yours, and I'm not going to change my mind, but at least we can come together as brothers or sisters, and this is not dealing with color, but this is just respecting someone as a human being and saying we're not going to agree, but we can agree to disagree. And, in fact, in our organization, we go by that statement. We agree to disagree, but not disconnect. We say that over and over. I'm, I might say, I don't like him, but I have to respect you. I'm certainly inclined to agree with that. I think that's part of the reason, if not the reason, that I started this podcast, is I really believe that conversation is breaking down, and we have to try to do what we can to respect one another. Um, can you walk me through one of the conversations you've had, especially I'm curious from a black perspective, you said you talked to preachers and various members in your community and you said, I don't think guns are the solution. What are the specific criticisms they levy and how do you respond to those? You know, I, it's funny. I, I talked to a very well-known preacher here in Atlanta and everyone knows who this person is. Um, very well-known. Uh, he's on TV, you know, he's, he's got a lot of money and a whole bit. And we had a conversation at a, at a, at a, um, I hop, and we sat down, and just him and I, and I think he had some of his folks kind of on the fringes sitting down, just kind of watching the scene over, and um, we had a discussion because I reached out to him and wanted him to consider having his membership be exposed to the National African Gun Association, and they should join in mass. Um, and he responded, said, "Hey, you know, I, I don't agree with that, but I'll I'll meet with you." So we had a conversation. We sat down, and um, he let me know that he didn't believe that a gun was a way for African-Americans to go. He believed that um, there were another option out, there was another option out there that we should utilize and try to work within the community, try to love your neighbor, all these things that um, that a preacher typically echoes. And they were all good things. I'm not going to sit there and try to diminish them or demean him. He truly believes in his heart that's the way to go. And I just listened. And after listening to him, I said, you know, I appreciate that. This is what I believe. And I let him know that if there's any group of people in America in which you should not copy their history is African-Americans. We are a case study in what not to do. Make sure if you want to have problems with your community, I don't care what color, make sure you don't have a firearm to protect your community. 
So anybody can run in there and rob, kill, rape your women, rape your daughters, kill the men, put in liquors, drug dealers, go in and out. Make sure that uh, guns aren't there. That's what will happen. And I, I put proposed the question to him, and I, I still never have gotten a, a right answer from him on this. I said, just imagine if every African-American that came over here was given a gun as they walked off the ship. Just imagine that. Every slave that walked off the ship was handed ammo and a firearm. Do you think African-Americans would be in this place that we're at collectively right now today in 2021 in America? And I get silence. I get complete silence. Well, I'm curious on those points because I think the main example I can think of that would echo that sentiment is the Black Panthers in the 60s. Obviously, they'd seen major civil rights leaders assassinated, and they had reached a point where they said, enough is enough, we need to protect ourselves. And I think the response on a federal level was basically classify them as a gang. And I think uh, a lot of what you see as far as this era of mass incarceration has to do with guns in the hands of African Americans and equating that as dangerous to white America. And so I don't know that I'm going to necessarily know all the points that you know, but if I were to try and think, okay, what is the danger of black Americans trying to defend themselves with guns? I think historically the answer would be police. It would be government. And I think you see a lot of examples of that with Philando Castile, who is a legally registered gun owner, who was telling the police he had a gun, not acting in a threatening manner, and was still shot. I think that uh, Breonna Taylor's boyfriend, he was a legal gun owner who was defending himself against shots fired into his private residence. And it does not seem like the legal system has enforced the Second Amendment for black people the same way it does for white people. And so even though I think the intentions of wanting to defend yourself, I completely understand why someone in the black community would want to arm themselves. I also feel like I understand the perspective of someone who would be hesitant about giving police and the government another chance to say, well, this was a dangerous person. That's why they were shot. Does that make sense? I think you've made my point. You've made my point better than I can. You, you were very eloquent. The one thing we cannot do is just because someone is being unjust and doing illegal activities to us, the one thing we can't do is cower down and hide in a corner and give up our guns. The very next day when Philando Castillo was shot, I told everyone to make sure you carry a gun. And we're, we should legally, this is my belief, go after the law, the law enforcement officer that shot him. I'm not saying he was a bad guy. I'm not going to say he was a racist because I don't know what was in his mind when he was interacting with Philando. But I know this, he did a very bad thing. And he needs to go to jail forever for that. That's what I know. We are, not, And I repeat this again. We are not sub-Americans or discounted citizens. We have the right as everyone else, and if anyone is acting unjustly against us, we need to fight with every breath that we have to make sure it doesn't happen. It might take years. It might take another 30 philanderical steals to happen before we get justice, but it's going to happen. But the one thing you can't do is to let the bully on the playground keep bullying you. You have to stand up to that legally. I want to make sure that everyone understands I'm, I'm not talking about violence. I'm talking about legally go after those folks that are doing unjustly things to you. Um, so yeah. that's my perspective. I can definitely appreciate that perspective. I know for myself, I went to a lot of the protests last summer. I'm based here in New York City. And one of the big reasons I felt I really had to go was seeing that the police response to the protests was really violent. And I said, well, if you're just going to let this dissuade you from being out there, then in effect, you're letting that unfair enforcement of police brutality kind of take its effect. 
And I believe that's what you're saying, which is you shouldn't let inequitable enforcement of the Second Amendment deter you. In fact, you should fight extra hard to make sure you have that right. Am I understanding that correctly? That is correct. And, and not only do you have to fight, you really have to fight. You might go through a thousand disappointments just to get one successful story. And I'm just yeah. a big believer. I don't believe in marching. I, I'm just going to let you know right now. Marches, what they do, they allow really good photo ops for photographers. They make really good um, pictures on magazines. But what does it do at the end of the day? I'm about collectively and strategically coming together as a community and looking at the community and say, you know what, we're not getting treated right in this community right here. So from now on, we're not going to go to their banks. We're not going to go to their store. We're not going to go to the movies. We're not going to go to their gas stations. We're not going to go to their nail salons. We're not going to do any kind of economic commerce with any of the businesses in this city. And I'll tell you what's going to happen. When things like that happen, I use the um, Birmingham um, bus boycott as my template for success. In this country, unfortunately, green is valued more than black lives. That's just a fact. When people start hurting in the pocket, things quickly change. If every business owner in a city came to the the mayor and the police chief and said, look, I'm losing money. I'm about to go out of business. These black folks are pissed off. We can't allow this anymore. You know what's going to happen? Major change and quickly because money talks in this country, and we have to understand as a, as a people how to utilize our strengths. African Americans are one of some of the greatest consumers on the, on the planet. We love buying stuff, but if we stop buying stuff, those business owners are going to let the mayor and the elected officials um, know what's going on and that they're not going to take it anymore. Okay, so let me tie that consumerism back to gun rights specifically, because I think one of the criticisms I've seen levied is that the NRA is very vocal anytime there's an encroachment on gun rights. I think most notably after mass shootings, they always say, you know, don't make this political and they come to defense of gun rights. Notable exception to this has been when black Americans have been shot, armed black Americans have been shot, the Philando Castiles. So in, do you envision a scenario in which you would use your membership and black gun ownership in general to get more of the table stakes of the NRA? I'll say this, and I mean no disrespect to any other, any other firearms organization out there. I don't care what they're doing. I use the analogy of going into the weight room. It's like you go into the weight room, and I'm a real skinny, out-of-shape guy, and I look over the corner, and I see this really buff guy or this really ripped woman, and they're in shape, and it's obvious they have put in time in. You can either sit there eating chips and drinking a Coke for the whole hour and a half you're supposed to be working out and watching them and talking about everybody, talking to everybody about saying, you know, they're really ripped, they're really in good shape, or you can put the food down and focus on making yourself strong. I opt to do that. I'm not worried about other firearms organizations. I'm worried about NAGA, laser-focused about NAGA. We're going to dictate our own success or failure. We're going to dictate what conversations we have or don't have. We're going to dictate to politicians, not politicians, but to the general public about our values and what we're trying to accomplish as an organization. So I don't, I'm not going to say I don't, I'm not aware of what's going on in other organizations because I am, obviously, I, I have to be aware. But I'm not going to let someone's non-comment on something um, drive me crazy where I have to jump up and down. If that's what they're doing uh, or deciding to do as an organization, that's on them. Do I agree with it? Hell no. Hell no. 
I want to ask if everything goes as hoped in the next five years, what is it that you hope NAGA gives to its members and what are the major goals you hope to achieve? The number one thing is pride. Pride and self-esteem in terms of African Americans as it relates to firearms. Our people are just starting, to, the maturation process is starting to take place in our community uh, with our folks, particularly our young folks, where we're looking at guns in a different light. You know, guns are a value add now in a lot of black homes. It's not, it's not majority, but it's starting to trend that way. We now are starting to see guns in a good in a good light. So in five years, my hope would be the organization is reached 100,000, which we should be able to do pretty easily. We have um, continued the message of equality and training for our folks. We have our own curriculum. We are out there pushing the narrative of African Americans being trained and being able to protect and defend themselves, their families, and their loved ones. Um, that's what we have to do. That's the focus and and the emphasis. Uh, of the organization within the next five years. And that's, for, for me anyway, as long as I'm here, um, that's what it needs to be in terms of um, really having an understanding of, uh, of where we're at and where we need to be. We're very good at making chapters. We are very good at training African-American uh, people to learn how to shoot. But what we need to have a, a really good grasp on is what else do, does our community need? They need structure. They need a process where they can get help on certain circumstances that are happening to them. And, and that's where I think the, the greater gift of NACA will be down the line. We haven't gotten there yet, but hopefully down the line we'll be able to uh, be more than just a, a firearms organization. Definitely. In this podcast being called Let's Talk About Race, this is a question that I ask all of my guests. If you were to have my audience have a conversation about race, what conversation would you like them to have? I think from a you know, in terms of race, um, just understand we're not a monolith, we're not a monolithic group, African Americans, and that we come in different shades, different experiences, different um, economic realities. Some are very rich, some are very poor, some are just average. Um, like myself, I'm just an average Joe. Um, but in that, understand that we all have a different perspective that needs to be respected. And, and I think once that conversation is understood, um, I think African-Americans will be viewed in a much healthier light. Definitely. And Phil, with that, I want to thank you for giving your expertise on the show, as well as your personal perspective, being a black man in America. Um, this show would not be possible without the guests and their perspective. So really, truly appreciate your time. And I look forward to hearing more from you in the future. I thank you. I appreciate uh, the time. And uh, so everyone on your uh, show, uh, I had a great conversation with you. For listeners interested in learning more about Phil or the National African American Gun Association, visit naaga.co. As always, if there's any topics you feel I should cover, reach out to me at letstalkaboutrace.net or at my new handle, L-T-A-R underscore podcast. And for those of you interested in spreading the conversation, leave me a comment or review in iTunes. It helps to increase visibility and get future guests as well as increase the conversation among others.